uh, Matthew chapter 5. Um, we're going to go uh, through two verses. Uh, you know if you're uh, familiar with where we are in the Bible that uh, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, of course, where Jesus is teaching uh, 5, 6, and 7, uh, some amazing truths there. Uh, you look at the Beatitudes, and then down in verse number 13, uh, Jesus speaking. Uh, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all those that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So let's, uh, let's just pray tonight and ask God to uh, help our hearts and minds to be open uh, to what He has to show us through His Word. Lord, I thank You for Your presence again in our life. I thank You for this amazing Word that you've kept for us, God, through all these years once you allowed it to be penned. Uh, men have tried to destroy it, and yet you have preserved it that tonight we can hold it in our hands, we can look at the very words that you desire for us to know. And Holy Spirit, we know that we are helpless without you. We pray that you would keep our, our thoughts fixed upon, Lord, what you desire to be shared, and that when we leave this place, the things that we learn would, would accomplish change in our hearts, if we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the world in which we live is kind of, it seems like it's spinning out of control. It really does. Uh, it seems like, uh, as a, from a Christian perspective, that everywhere we look, it's just like this massive black cloud that's just closing in on us. Um, I've been thinking about Ukraine, and uh, I don't know if you watch the news, but if you do, uh, it's, it's amazing to see some of the pictures that are coming out of there. People running for their lives, hiding down in blown up buildings in small places just to be safe uh, with their children. Some of them that they interview, they don't have any food, they don't have any water. And it just seems like their mindset, which probably would be our mindset too if we were in that situation, is just try to find somewhere to hide and, and, and just hide and to hold this thing out until all the bombs are gone, all the, the evil's gone, and then we can come out from hiding. And sadly, as you see the New Testament church there in Jerusalem, after Jesus had ascended, He said, stay here in Jerusalem, wait for the power on high there. In Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit comes, and then they're still just kind of hanging out at Jerusalem. And then God allows persecutions to come and disperses his people, so the gospel can get out there. And honestly, as a, as, as a believer sometimes, for me, it just seems like as it gets more wicked and darker out there, it seems to make sense. Maybe I just need to go buy me a farm and uh, get some chickens and some cows and, you know, some way to get water instead of electric and just kind of rough it and, and hide out somewhere until Jesus comes. And yet the reality is that's not what Christ is telling His people to do. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. It is a temptation to do that, but the group of people at the time that Jesus is speaking this, they were in a wicked and a perverse culture. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever studied Rome and the Caesars and the people that were in charge before the coming of Christ, during the coming of Christ, and in the New Testament times, but these were some perverse and wicked men. After, of course, the, the time I mentioned about the disciples and the gospel going out and them being dispersed, during that time frame, they had, of course, the games, the gladiators, and all that stuff going on. And these people were so perverse, they would take people that they found to be Christians, strap them to a pole, cover them in oil, and light them on fire so they could have light for the games that were going on. Inside these games, they would take Christians and they would take and skin animals. They would cover them in animal skins, throw them out there, and wild beasts would, of course, see that, think it was an animal, and they'd attack it and just, just rip them to shreds. I mean, so this is, this is, this is kind of like what we're looking at. It, the, the arena in which we are as far as some of the sins and the perversions that we see going on in our culture, you know, this is not new stuff. When you go to 1 Corinthians 6... Paul talks about, you know, the adulterer, the liar, the blasphemer, the homosexual, and all those things in that context. And he says, such were some of you. So you're talking about just shortly after Jesus Christ ascended, all the perverse things we see going on now was going on then. And so in their temptation to just hang out around Jerusalem and, and see the Jews saved and people like that, God brought that great persecution and pushed the church these believers out to accomplish what he originally intended for them to do was take the gospel to the whole world. And so that is our, that is our focus tonight uh, as we think about these scriptures. Now, there's something we kind of, when you look at scripture sometime, not only do you need to look at context, because we talked about last week how that's so important, but you have to kind of understand when, when Jesus Christ says, you're the salt of the earth, you're light, the light of the world. Okay, there, there's kind of a, a presupposition in that to where you have to understand why would we need salt and why would we need, would we need light? Well, you need salt because stuff is rotting. It's, if you don't take that piece of ham, I love really salty ham. I, I love it. And uh, with some eggs in the morning, I mean, it's unbelievable. Like, you know, the, the more your fingers swell, the better it is. Okay? Uh, so, but if you don't do that to that meat and you just leave it out, guess what? It's going to rot. And so, when Jesus is saying this to the disciples, he's saying, listen, these people that are following him, you need to be salt because you're living in a decaying, rotting world. You need to be light because there's darkness out there. I mean, we don't, we come in here tonight, you know, we don't need a flashlight because there's sufficient light. But if for some reason the power would go out, we would need a flashlight. Why? Because there's darkness. So that's the presupposition for this, this text in which we're going. Jesus said, listen, this is a dark world, and he'll talk about that a lot through his teachings. The disciples will talk about that, the perverseness, the darkness of the world. But in all of that darkness and all of that decay, he's still calling us as his children to be salt and to be light. So in this situation that we're living in, in the culture that we are now, in the culture that the disciples were in that Jesus told them to go out. What is his plan? Now, flip over to Matthew chapter 16. I want to show you something there, Matthew 16. In verse number 15 of that chapter, Jesus says, uh, 
He says, who do you say that I am? He was talking about uh, what people were thinking of him. Some said he was John the Baptist. Some said he was Elias. Some Jeremiah, and then one of the prophets. Um, but he said, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, uh, the, the Catholic Church has taken this to say that Peter was the rock of the church, and so, of course, the popes are, uh, pred- are, are, are following him in this role of being the head uh, of the church. But that's not, as you study this passage out, I don't know if Pastor Kenny has, has taught on this uh, since he's been here, um, but what Jesus is saying, he's saying that the church is built on the statement that Peter just made. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what, that is the foundation of the church, is that Jesus Christ is God of very God. And Jesus is telling Peter, on this rock, on this truth, that I am God of very God, I am going to build my church. And it's interesting, he says in verse 18, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now in your mind... What, what, what kind of mental picture do you get when Jesus is saying that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against this church that he's building? What comes to your mind? Waves crashing up against the wall of the building. Waves crashing against the wall. So there's this crashing going on and the gates aren't affected by it. What do, what do gates typically do? Do they advance? They're pretty stationary, aren't they? They don't, I mean, they're not there. Uh, I looked at a bunch of different commentaries. Uh, one of them kind of gave the idea of thought that I had, and then there was another one that I hadn't really thought about um, that I think either one of those could fit with the gospel. As you think about other teaching of the apostles and Jesus, they would both fit. So Jesus is saying, here we have the gates of hell, and all these people that are in there, all the lost that are inside this fortress, as it were, in deception. He said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell aren't going to be able to prevail. My people are going to storm the gates, as it were, of hell, bust through the gates, and they're going to be snatching Satan's uh, people inside the gates away from him. That was the way that I feel like that that says. That there, there is nothing going to stop the work of Jesus Christ. It's going to be accomplished. By his people. But it also, many of the commentators reference that the idea is that hell's gates open up, and as we mentioned in the beginning of, of the, the message, is that darkness just begins to spew out. The wickedness and the vileness of Satan's kingdom and all that vileness begins to pour out, and it's not going to prevail. Uh, Jesus Christ says that Jesus shone, came as a light in the world, and the, the world couldn't, couldn't put it out, couldn't couldn't comprehend him, okay? No matter what the evil forces tried to do, they couldn't put Jesus out. And, you know, I heard a message uh, about a year ago. I don't know if you, any of you guys have ever listened to John Piper, but he was talking about how God even uses Satan for his glory. And see, right now, you see Satan, he's been given this world, the dominion of it. He's the little God of this world at this time, 
And he's going all through, and of course we know the Antichrist and all that stuff comes on the scene. And when Jesus Christ comes back in power and glory at the end of the tribulation period, Satan thinks he's got it. I mean, he's bringing all these forces of the world against Jesus, and he still thinks he's got a chance. But of course we know. Jesus comes back in power and glory, and the sword proceeds from his mouth, and he wipes out all those armies that are come against him. And so what he's saying to you and I today as his followers, you and I are on the winning side. There, you know, what Satan is doing can't hinder what God is doing through us if we are yielded to the plan that he has for us. And that plan is to go into the darkness, go into the corruption, and impact them as salt and as light. And for you and I to get a, a hold on tonight, he's just not talking to preachers or deacons, or Sunday school teachers. He's talking to every single born-again believer. That's what He saved us for, to be salt and to be light. And we're going to kind of go through what the specifics that, of that is. But understand with me tonight is that, you know, the lost world is not going to reach out to the lost world. You know? The lost world is going to pamper lost people with lies. They're going to try to, as minions of Satan, to continue to deceive and to tear down what God is trying to do. And so if, if any light is going to shine, if any salt is going to be spread, it's, it's through us. It's through those of us that know Jesus Christ, who've been saved, who has His truth, whose Holy Spirit is working in us to accomplish this work. In verse uh, 13 and 14, back in chapter 5 of our text, both of those... Uh, phrases uh, are emphatic. Ye are the light. Ye are the salt. The idea is that we are the only ones. There is no other. There's nobody else that's going to do this thing. And so the two symbols I want us to see is, first of all, is salt. Now, if you want to, if you have a, you're eating somebody's house or you out or you're out in town and you get a meal and it's bland, if you can, you know, some people can't have a lot of sodium, but you normally reach for the sodium, you know, the salt, and you sprinkle it on there. It's amazing what a little bit of that salt can do to, to some bland food, you know? And, uh, and so what happens, though, when you sprinkle this salt on this bland food, it dissolves quickly. The taste is there, but the salt is gone. You don't see it. And in the reference what Christ is, is talking about here is that as salt... We, we move in, it's kind of like a silent testimony. We, we move into a situation and we, we have an influence on it, even though we're not very, it's not very apparent what's happening. Uh, Ward, what you talked about with uh, uh, Stephanie doing that. Yeah, moving into a situation, counseling with somebody, being there, showing them love, showing them care, showing them that uh, you, you're different than someone else. That's, it's kind of, a, it's kind of a, a, an impact that it's having, but it's not, it's not really wide open that you can see. Now, salt has some basic functions. We have talked a little bit about the flavor. Of course, uh, salt is very flavorful. But uh, salt also has a, an ability to, uh, in like in a wound, when you put salt in a wound, it actually goes in there and begins to dry up and numb your receptors, your nerves and stuff, and so it actually begins to suck out stuff that's bad, 
and then began, began to allow healing in that. Uh, every now and then, uh, I'll bite the side of my lip inside of here. I'm talking, you know, and that little bit of flesh there gets between your teeth, and it hurts. And normally you get a big blister in there. And so I'll go in there, and I get a big thing of salt, and I just pour it over in that little, in that little wound. I'm going to tell you, it burns so bad you can't hardly stand it. But you know what? It dries it out, and in a few days it's gone. So it's this, when Jesus is talking about uh, uh, being salt, he's talking about having that influence, flavoring a situation. Um, you ever been around one of those people that when they come into the room, it just the whole attitude of the room changes? Yeah. Now, in a good way, in a good way. We, we don't talk about the bad side. <laughs> there's, there's some that come in, you're like, wow, I wish they'd leave. But uh, on, on the good side, you just like, it's like when you see them coming, you're excited about it. You want to see them again. Yeah, but some people you don't, you don't, you don't want that to be. And so this, the, the flavor that we bring to a wound, the sting. There are some times that we as believers have to uh, be a sting in a situation. Uh, I, I play golf uh, with a bunch of guys. I actually met this group of guys. That I don't get to play as much as I used to. But um, I was doing a, I did a, there was a couple coming to our church in 2006 or seven. And um, the, the son of the guy that uh, had a heart attack, um, he was coming to our church, and uh, he, his dad passed. Uh, it was quick. He had a heart attack that night and uh, only lived one day, and they asked me to do the funeral. And so uh, I did, and uh, there was a lot of lost people there. And uh, it's very interesting how God opens doors for different situations. The, the funeral that I preached today 23-year-old uh, young man, life before him, sharp kid, very smart, very always smiling. Uh, that's, that's a tough one to preach. It's a tough one to preach. Uh, this man, he passed very unexpectedly, no, no testimony that he knew God, loved God, ever made a profession for God. Um, he was a, a tree man, logger. And so, uh, you know, the Bible says that where a tree falls, that's where it lays. And God gave me words in that time to, to share truth about when a tree falls down and it's, it's gone, it can't get back up on the stump, and all it's got to show for itself is those rings that tell what type of life it lived. You know, good years, bad years, whatever like that. And some of these hardened men, men that were very tough in their labor and stuff like that, you could see God just using that thing. But the things that were being said were stinging them stinging them because they knew, man, this is uh, sinful. And so anyway, I started playing golf with this group of guys, and uh, they, uh, they, you know, most of them were not in church or anything. And it was interesting how they had come to the funeral. They had heard me preach. They knew I was a pastor. And so they would, we would, you know, they'd hit a bad shot or something. They would use a bad word and say, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Our Christian influence, we're not talking about, you don't even have to share the gospel in the way that you live. You can have an impact and an influence on a group of people simply by stuff like that. People will realize, hey, this guy doesn't talk like we talk. You know, this guy's got a Bible on his desk. Yeah, well, we can't have Bibles uh, at work. Well, they see you bowing your head and praying over your food. Some of, these, some of these silent witnesses that have a huge impact and actually have a sting on people. That's what Christ is talking about here. Uh, of course, we know thought, uh, uh, salt makes the thirst. You know, the potato chip companies have figured this thing out. That uh, commercial years ago, I don't know if it's still for ladies, you know, you can't eat just one. It's true. 
Because you eat one and the salt says you want another and another and you look down, you've eaten half the bag. You know, and that's the, the idea there is that there's something about us that lost people want to hang around us. You know, they, they want to be around us because something, there's something different about us. Uh, when Lynette and I came to Christ, I we mentioned a little bit last uh, time about our marriage, but God, God transformed our marriage. And, and we began to just demonstrate just because the way that God was compelling us to treat each other, how a husband and a wife are supposed to treat one another. And, and we had so many people that just wanted to hang out or be around us because they began to see a marriage that they wanted to pattern or have in their life. And so many, well, how do you do it? And of course, that gives opportunity to share the gospel. So as salt, we should be, we should be our lives should be compelling people to want what we have. They're thirsty for what we have. And it's not about, you know, hammering people with the gospel. There's times to preach the gospel, but we're just talking about having an impact on somebody's life or they just want to be around you. And the opportunity to share the gospel from that, they're going to come. They, 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 will, they will arrive. Um, and then uh, preservation. Now, we talked about that, a, a preservative. Uh, you and I have an influence on this world, even though we might think. We look at what's going on in the world and we think, man, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse. But can you imagine how worse it would be if we weren't here? I mean, it would be awful. Can you imagine what would be happening all over the world if there weren't Christians who were praying? I, I heard a wonderful testimony this afternoon from, um, I don't know if you all know, uh, Kyle Clemens he used to be the pastor of Brookersville Baptist Church. Um, he's retired now, but I was speaking with his wife, and the church supports uh, missionaries in Ukraine. And so some of the missionaries, of course, uh, reach out to the slums and to the poor and stuff like that, but this couple was compelled to go and reach out to the intellectual, the people that were uh, having degrees and, and really making something of their life, because really, honestly, that's a lost group over there. You know, they go on about their life, they build their castles, build their barns, bigger barns, and they're totally missed. And so this couple went over there, and they have built 32 churches in Ukraine. And so they were, they were calling uh, them and asking them to pray for the situation. They had an opportunity to, to fly out of there to get themselves, their daughter, and their grandchildren out. And they says, no, we're staying here because we have a responsibility to these 32 churches. And so they're there. They're saying, yeah, it's awful. It's wicked. They're, we're being invaded and people are dying. But our influence here, our influence here is so needful that we're willing to, to risk our lives for it. And if we're not careful as believers, we'll forget that wonderful function. We'll, we'll just so sanitize ourselves that we get away from everything filthy and, and undefiled, you know, that's defiling in that, and then we don't reach anybody that's, unless they're, you know, they've been raised in church and, you know, they're just kind of a little away from the Lord. That's definitely not God's intention. That's not what Christ uh, is saying here. Uh, verse 13 there again says, You're the salt of the earth. And so what Christ is doing from the moment that we get saved is conforming us into His image so that we might actually have an influence on this world like He would have uh, if He were here. Um, uh, over in Galatians, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And really, the fruit of the Spirit is nothing more than spiritual salt. That's what it is. 
Christ wants you and I to be people of faith. He wants us to be meek. He wants to be, us to be temperate. He wants us to be joyful. He wants us to be full of peace. And that's, that's kind of what He is working to produce in us so that we can have uh, an influence as salt. It's our, it's our witness of a, of a silent impact on uh, the silent impact of a godly life. And if you and I commit ourselves to allowing Christ to be formed in us, that when we find ourselves being ugly to one another, that we deal with it. When we find ourselves getting angry, we deal with it. When we find ourselves grumbling and complaining, we deal with it. We will find that God is actually changing us and our ability to influence other people is going to get greater and greater as salt. Because people know how people are supposed to react when something happens that should make them angry. And what causes them to stop and take a look is when something happens that should make the normal person angry, but we don't get angry. Stuff that's going on in your life that they know about, maybe trials that you're going through, maybe just stuff like this family's going through. I can't even imagine what they're dealing with tonight. They're going back home. It's the, it's the son and the mom and the dad in this home that this this awful thing happened in that same home. But when people come over and they see joy, they see peace, they see faith in God, in the midst of all of this, they'll say, that's unusual. This is not normal. I mean, somebody should be blaming God or cursing God or, or, or be angry. I mean, that's what the natural emotion in that time is. And what Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is trying to get us to be different in these situations of life there again as, as this salt, this silent testimony as we go in and out through the world. And then he says in verse 14 that you're the light of the world. Now, salt and light in this uh, two verses there where Jesus Christ is talking about this thing really balance each other. We don't really think about salt and light balancing each other in a, in a normal daily, daily situation. But Salt is the inward, you know, that rubbing in, that kind of silent witness where light is the very outward uh, seen witness. Um, <laughs> when I got to Madison, when I was pastoring there, there were a lot of bear hunters. These guys love hunting bears. They did bear, big bear dogs and uh, big trucks with the big wheels on them. And they had these massive lights mounted to the top of the truck. And I mean, they could go out in the field looking for bear and they'd hit those lights on that thing. It looked like daylight out there, you know? And uh, kind of like, you know, you're sitting there asleep, you're in the dark, and all of a sudden somebody turns the light on and you're like, whoa, man, is that bright. This is the type of outward influence God is wanting us to have on this world. Not just to, we need to have the silent witness. People at work should know there's something different about you, you know? before You don't have to even say anything. They just realize there's something different about this person. You know, uh, the way that you do your job, you know, Christians ought to get there early and leave late. You say, why is that? Because everybody tries to get there late and leave early, try to get a little bit more off the, uh, their employer. Uh, there ought to be people of character. And so that's, that's that, that witness that they, you know, they don't really necessarily know you're a Christian, but they know that you're different, and that opens up opportunities uh, for Jesus Christ. Uh, but the light, it shines on the outside of us, and it is open, it's workable, and it's visible. It actually has an outward impact uh, on the people uh, that are around us. It's not a subtle influence like, 
like salt. Now, salt can retard corruption, okay? Uh, you, you can salt that meat, it can slow down the process of decay, but it can never, it can never give new life, okay? It can never make, it, it can run that, the corruption, it slows it down, it doesn't allow it to have its, its quick and, and full course, but it can't turn the table and take it back the other way, okay? But light can, okay? And that's what Jesus is talking about here uh, in the light of the gospel. The, the light of the gospel has the power to change a person's life to where they are an adulterer, a liar, uh, a blasphemer, on and on and on, drunkards, and yet the light of the gospel comes in there, and now Paul says in, in that uh, 1 Corinthians 6 that you are that, but you're not that way any longer. You're washed, you're justified, you're sanctified through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need to live a life that honors God in a quiet way, getting in and influence people that way by that impact. But there has got to be the sharing of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what transforms lives, okay? The, the salt and all that which is good, and we, that's a part of our testimony, but that's just getting a person to thirsty for what they see in us, and then that opens up the door and says, let me tell you why I'm this way. Let me tell you what's changed in my life that has got me to be the person that I am in the way. So he says that as we are light, people will see our good works, they recognize the light, and they will glorify God. So there's something about the light that compels people to turn and look to God. Now, in so many words, what Christ is saying is that's what the gospel does. When you turn the light of the gospel on, people hear those words, they hear the truth of God, and that light compels them to look to God. I was uh, talking with a, a man last night, and we were just talking about our conversions. And it, it was amazing, as God began to turn the light of the gospel on in our lives, how we began to see just how dark we were. I mean, I know I didn't really belong in church, because you went to church, you're just like, eh, that's not my place, you know, this is not for me. Uh, I always felt uneasy there, felt like I didn't belong. But when I realized the reason I felt that was because of all of these, these sins that I had sinned against God, and God showed me that through the gospel, and I repented of, of my sins, and He took all those things away. That thing that I didn't even want to do and didn't feel comfortable in, now here I'm at Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night revivals, loving the Word of God, reading the Word of God. What in the world happened? The, the light of the gospel shone. I saw God... And it, it turned me to him, and he changed my life. That's what he's talking about, presenting the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. Now, it's probably something that we don't do on a regular basis. And we're, I mean, we're the faithful, you know? There are people that will come to church, they'll come maybe once, twice a month, maybe once every couple months. But we're the ones that come to Sunday school, and we come to church, and we come to Wednesday night, and you probably read your Bible at home, and you pray. And so if, if we who are doing all that aren't sharing the gospel, how many of us are out there doing it? And yet this is something that Jesus Christ is calling there again at the beginning. He's calling all of His children not only to be uh, an influence, but to actually share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know how to share the gospel. It, it is just very simple. I mean, I'm sure that we have opportunities here to know how 
to, to share the gospel. And when you think about the gospel, what, what, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? What, what is it that we're supposed to be sharing? Paul told him in 1 Corinthians 15, I declare unto you the gospel. What, what was the gospel that he was declaring unto them? The death. Exactly. So you've got to be able to, you've got to, be able to take that light and help somebody to see that Jesus Christ died. Why did he die? For our sins. We've all sinned. We've come short of the glory of God. You know, we, the wages of sin is death. Many of those that, verses that some of you know, uh, are the Romans' road. It doesn't have to be the Romans' road, but it's got to be the gospel. That Jesus Christ died, according to the Scripture, why? for our sins. And that he was buried. Why? Because sin brings forth death. He had to die. He had to go to the grave. And, and he, he died, and then he rose again. The Bible says that, that Jesus died for our offenses, but he was raised for what? Justification. Our justification. See, if all we focus on is the cross, all Jesus Christ is is another dead man. That's all that he is. The truth of the gospel is that death could not hold him. He conquered death, that enemy that was was over all of us that we could not defeat. He defeated it, and he rose from the dead. And so doing, every one of us can be justified. That means just as if we never sin, the sin issue is dealt with because of his raising from the dead. And, of course, as he lives, we will live also. So it's important that we as God's children, we, we understand that when he calls us to be light, it's talking about the sharing of the gospel of his death, burial, and his resurrection. Now, it's interesting in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, you can turn there if you want, uh, but it's definitely something that you should write down. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. This is a fascinating verse, and it's kind of talking about what you and I have been uh, discussing tonight. It says, For it is God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Now, what is he talking about there? It is God that has commanded light to shine out of darkness. Creation, okay? This same God, where there was no light, he spoke and there was light, okay? The, the God that commanded light to shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, that sounds like some pretty pretty uh, stuff that you need a, a commentary or something for, but it, it is so simple. He says, listen, the same God that spoke and light lighted up the whole world, the, the, the heavens, everything is lit because of God speaking, has shown that same light inside of you and I. He's shown that light. And, and what does that light do? It gives us the knowledge of the glory of God as seen in the face of Jesus Christ. God has shown in our lives, He's revealed Himself to us as light, and He has revealed Jesus Christ to us, to where, if you remember, back in the Old Testament with Moses, when he came into the presence of God, how his face shone, that's, that's kind of the idea of saying it. As God shines into our heart, He's revealing the knowledge of Jesus Christ to us, and that light is, begins to radiate in our life. And you think about this in the times that you're in, in fellowship with Jesus Christ. I mean, the Holy Spirit has worked on your heart, 
And I mean, it just seems like all you're thinking about is Jesus Christ. You wake Him in the morning. You can't wait to get to His Word. When you go to prayer, you, you, it's just like you close your eyes and it's just like you and I are talking. It's like Christ is right there. It's just like your life is glowing. And it's glowing because of this knowledge that you have of Jesus Christ. And so as we go to the Word, we're seeing Christ... And what we see of Christ in His Word and in prayer, the Holy Spirit is, is working to change us into that image which we see. Now, the problem is we get busy, we get distracted, and our morning devotion routine, instead of, of seeking to, to see Jesus Christ that morning, Lord, show me what is out of order in my life, show me what is needed in my life, and as He begins to show us, we say, God, change me. Make me like Jesus Christ. That is really the process of devotion. That's the process of why God wants us to study His Word. Not just to fill our head with a bunch of knowledge. And when we see last week what happened to the Pharisees, their heads were full of knowledge. But their hearts weren't full of Jesus Christ. And so God is wanting to shine His light in us, change us inside, so that that glory, that glow will shine to the world, that they will see the difference in us. And it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, We all, with an open face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of God. So, so we, we're looking at the Word, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is showing us Jesus Christ. He's showing us how unlike we, Him we are. And we're saying, God, change me. And He begins to change us, it says, from glory to glory. From one glory, a glory of joy, to a glory of grace, to a glory of long-suffering. He, he's making us slowly, chipping away at all that is not Him, and making us like Him. And we'll find in this process, the more that we yield to the working of the Holy Spirit in that, not only are we changing, but we're becoming more and more vocal in our witness to others because this glorious change that is taking place in us, we just want other people to know. If you remember when you got saved, the transaction that takes place is so amazing that you just begin to share. Before you even really knew anything about the Bible or God or any of that, you just begin to tell people, hey, I got saved, I got saved. Well, what does that mean? I don't know, I just got saved. God changed my life, you know? Uh, I remember there uh, in the gospel, remember Jesus uh, healed the man, I think it was on the Sabbath day, and uh, he had been, he had been uh, uh, sick since birth. And, uh, of course, the Pharisees got in. Who did this to you? I, I don't know. And they called the parents, and the parents didn't want to get in trouble. So they said, go ask him. He's a, he's a grown man. And he says, listen, I don't know. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. Now, think about that. <laughs> he doesn't know if Jesus Christ is a sinner or not. He said, all I know is I was once lost, but now I see. And he began to preach to them, and they, who are you to preach to us? And that have never been taught. He didn't need to be taught because the Holy Spirit of God had shown in his heart, and he began to, to say what he, know, what he knew. And we don't have to know the whole Bible to, to share. But as God is changing us, we're going to want to share. We're going to want to share this light uh, that is going on. So uh, in, in, over time, as believers, we should see our lives being changed to be more and more like Jesus Christ. My wife and I, I thank God for the work that He's done in us. We'll be married 36 years this year. 36 years. I married her when she was 10. 
<laughs> I told you when we first got married. I mean, we were, we were a mess. Uh, we we were, we had so much baggage, and we we still we fought, and and God began to work on both of us, and we would we would feel bad about the way that we treat each other, about the fighting, and we'd come back and we'd say, "I'm sorry, will you forgive me?" And then more things would come up, and over the space of about three and a half years after we got saved. I'll never forget it. We were in Quantico. I was stationed up there. Um, I was up there one morning. I was praying. And uh, Lynette, I guess, was downstairs. And uh, there was just one little thing that, that she hadn't shared with me uh, of her. And God had been dealing with about it. You need, to, you need to tell him. You need to tell him. She was worried because she's like, well, well it, it just might ruin everything if I tell him this at this time. Well, God had already been working on me about how could I hold things against her if he'd forgiven her. And so I'm sitting there, I'm boohooing in my prayer closet. I'm like, Lord, I'm just thankful that you saved me. I'm so unworthy, all this. And she comes up and she says, I need to talk. And she's just, she's broken. And uh, she shared with me what was going on. And uh, of course, she was expecting me to be upset and everything. I just, I just grabbed her, I held her, and I prayed with her. And I said, Lynette, I love you. And I forgive you. How can I hold something against you that God has forgiven you for? It took a process it took a process. And then in, in our married life, we, we had to go to places to where we draw lines. Hey, listen, we're not going back past this day. And it just, over time, got to the point where, you know, we don't fight. People say, that's crazy. Everybody fights. We don't fight. We don't talk to each other disrespectfully. We don't do that anymore because we came to a place where we said, I saw her and I see her. That's God's daughter. And I better be really careful how I treat her. And so over the process of time of me doing what I'm talking about tonight, that's what happened in our relationship. To where we just, there's just certain places we don't go. By God's grace, it took me about, I don't know, it was probably within six months of me getting saved, God gave me victory over cursing. I had a foul mouth, very foul mouth. But God kept dealing with it, and I finally got to the place that I had the victory over it. Until... We were on a cruise in 1993, three years after I was saved, and we had a Bible study that night. I had a Bible study for a few men, and uh, I told them, I said, yeah, I haven't cussed in three years. Said nothing about the grace of God, said nothing about God allowing that. That very night, we had a storm come up on the ocean, and we were moving the aircraft around to get them uh, off the sides of the ship, and uh, the aircraft I worked on have a tail stinger. They don't, they don't have, like, they, you have to put wheels on them, jack them up, and then move them around. Well, we hit a wave, and it drove my hand down into the, the flight line deck on the top of the ship underneath of that metal thing, crushed my hand, and the very thing that came to my mind was D-A-M-N. I said it. And as soon as I said it, the Spirit of God smote my heart and said, by the grace of God, you haven't cursed since 1991. And that next night, I came to those guys and said, Guys, listen, I, I messed up last night. I sinned against God, and I told them that story. And by the grace of God... Since that night in 1993, God gave me the victory over cussing. We're talking about being a vocal witness. If I am out here and I'm letting these things govern me, if I get around these golf guys that I play with, and when I hit a bad shot, I say a cuss word, or I get angry, and, and I'm mean-spirited and stuff like that, my ability to share the gospel with them in an impacting way is, is not completely nullified, but very diminished. And so we have got to allow this work of change to take place in our life. So the problem, we know what God wants us to be. The problem is, he says, there's a danger of failure. There's a danger that the salt will lose its savor and the light will get covered up. And so 
We, we have got to strive by God's grace to have a good influence that we let God change us into His image so that as we walk through this world in a quiet way, we have an impact on people. But also as we go to witness to people, they don't look and say, you're a hypocrite. You know, why do I need the God that you have? Because you're no better off than I am. I look at your life, I look at my life, and it's pretty much identical. So God is wanting us to to be pure. We, we can't be perfectly pure till we see God. We're not going to be above sin in this life, but we can practice purity. And if we happen to fall or something like that, like I mentioned in front of people, or we don't do it in front of people, but we know that we did something like that to make it right to the people. I went right back to the people that I had told I hadn't cussed. I mean, how would it be if I knew that I had cussed that night and didn't tell anybody? He said, well, nobody really knew. God knew. God knew. And every time I would stand before those guys and give a testimony, I would have thought bad about myself because I knew. I told those guys I hadn't cussed, and I had. I did it that night. And so there's danger for salt to lose its ability to cause thirst. We, we have got to keep our lives in order. We have got to, we've got to make short lists. We, we're going to fail every day. We're going to fall. That's why First John tells us if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know there in that passage, Pastor Kenny just preached about that recently. It's not about salvation. That whole chapter is not talking about that at all. It's talking about fellowship. And if we don't deal with sin in our life, our fellowship with Jesus Christ is hindered. And when that is hindered, our ability as salt and light, both are hindered. We have got to, on a regular basis, being honest with ourselves and honest with God. And you'll find if we do that, then our lives will have that greater impact. Uh, Jesus uh, says to the light, it's a danger of a light uh, being covered up. It's supposed to be on a, a lampstand where it can give light. And, and surely, uh, you're not going to go home tonight and, and turn your light on in the living room uh, where you can read and then put a blanket over it. That'd be crazy. We know you don't do that. And, and so that's definitely not what we want to do uh, with our light. And so God is the one, as we read His Word, as He has saved us, He's the one inside of us that's shown into our hearts that's lighting us up. And we don't have to do anything to that light as far as making it keep going. It's in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. But what we have to do is deal with it covering it up. We've got to make sure we don't cover up that light. And probably most of us in here have been Christians long enough that you understand. If you have a, a desire to tell people about Jesus Christ, you have a good witness and stuff like that, and you fall, you start to do things you didn't, do, didn't used to do, automatically you begin to be very fearful about sharing. And it, it doesn't even have to be that you don't know what you need to share, the gospel. You may know the gospel, but in your heart of hearts, your conscience is saying, you shouldn't be sharing this. And so Jesus is saying, don't deal with the issues in your heart. Keep your heart pure. Keep your life right so that you can, that you can be salt and you can be light. Uh, in chapter 2, verse, uh, or 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that we mentioned earlier, uh, if you go on to verse 7, he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And that's the amazing thing. It's God shining through this chunk of flesh to change somebody's life for eternity. I mean, that doesn't cause us to say, wow, this is an amazing thing. God, God will constantly, and you're in my life, humble us, and remind us who it is that really is doing this work. 
I was in uh, Haiti years ago, and uh, the, the, one of the storms had washed out the road. We normally go up to the northern part of the island, and so we were going down the coastal road, and uh, we blew a tire. Well, you know, they don't have gas stations and stuff like that around here. Like, and so there's some guy normally, you'll see on the side of the road, he's got a bunch of car tire tubes, and he's probably got a little, little wheelbarrow and things like that. And so we saw one, we pulled over because the, the tire was going flat. And so this guy, with no power tools or anything like that, pulls that tire off that rim, and he had an old car piston, and he had it turned upside down, he had taken the rocker arm, the arm, you know, off of there, and he had, you know, how they have the little bearings on the side of that, and he was taking, using that for a hammer. He started a little fire in the top of that piston, you know, the piston turned upside down, and made a patch, and passed that tire, put it all back together, and got us on the road. And as I was sitting there watching that, I was like, wow, man, look at what that guy can do with those little, those little crude tools, you know. I don't think I could have done that. And that night when I got back, I had preached, and I got back to the place where we were staying, and the Lord just laid on my heart. He says, Carrie, you know what? That's you. That, that, little, that little crude tool right there, that's you. I remember we went by this one little stand to get some wood carvings, and this guy had a spoon that he had taken on a stone and ground down to where the spoon looked more like a little wedge, and he was carving out this beautiful mask with a ground-down spoon. And God was like, Carrie, that's you. And I was like, wow. You know, we think because we can speak or sing or do this or have this gift to work with metal or do this or that or whatever that somehow it's us. Paul says, listen, what do you have that you did not receive? Is it not God's grace that gave you that? And so when we get that idea, hey, listen, all I'm trying to do is this little pitiful tool. If I can just let God shine in me and shine out, if I can just stay out of the way and let God do what God wants to do, what a great impact that will have. Really, that's all he's talking about here with the light, is that if we'll, just, if we'll just let God use what belongs to him and not use it for ourselves, the kingdom of God will definitely be further, and the gates of hell surely will not prevail against it. And so it is our responsibility not to cover up this light. Um, there are things, there was a time, and I'll, I'll say this real quick, what time is it? How are we looking on time? Oh, I've well, we got one minute, so that's perfect. We'll close with this. Don't forget that the purpose that we're doing all this is for the glory of God, okay? It's, it's for the glory of God. Uh, but God wants to, to use our lives to impact people for an, eternal, for an eternal purpose. He wants to change us so that they can be changed.